Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. Like always, Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Overcast, TuneIn Radio, Pandora. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow. I always like to post pictures of organisms. And I also let you know through my social media when a new episode is coming out. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. On the last episode, we had Drs. Robin Patel and Audrey Schutz from the Mayo Clinic. And they were on the podcast to discuss an article about Staphylococcus argentius. Very good information to know. As we get more proficient in testing, especially molecular testing, now we are able to differentiate organisms better. So this is something that our day-to-day instruments need to keep up with so we can identify the organisms better. So in this article, you know, they had a number of isolates that they were, they ended up being identified as Staphylococcus argentus. This organism is part of the Staphylococcus aureus complex and is very similar to it, both in morphology and biochemicals. And a lot of our instruments that we have in the lab, they cannot identify Staph argentus. So there's some really great information, so when you get a chance, please go back and listen to that episode. Today I am going to talk about coagulase negative staph, or staphylococcus. So going back to what we know, we have an organism growing on the culture, right? It is recovered through the culture, our media. So we do a gram stain, and we see gram-positive cocci. Then on the plate, the colonies look medium to large, mostly flat, Right, so we perform a catalase, which is positive, and then we perform a coagulase, which is positive as well. As you know, if the colonies are beta hemolytic, we call it staph aureus. If no hemolysis is observed, we perform an alternate method of ID. So that brings the question what if the coagulase is negative? What is coagulase negative staph? Well, they are a group of bacteria belonging to the genus Staphylococcus. They are mostly part of our flora, and they reside mainly on our skin and mucous membranes. As a group, they are typically non-pathogenic and are considered normal flora or contaminants. And this contaminated part is especially true for blood cultures. Those of you in the lab, in the medical field, you know, if you're familiar with blood cultures, so typically, with, on, when blood cultures are collected, they typically collect two to three sets on a patient. If coagulase negative staph is recovered from only one set, or one out of two, or one out of three, it is typically released as coagulase negative staph in the lab, and no further ID and susceptibilities are performed. Of course, there are exceptions to this, and I'll talk about this later. If coagulase negative staph is recovered on multiple sets, then an ID is performed to see if the same species is on both sets. 
If the same species is present, then susceptibilities are performed. If different species are identified, then typically no further action is taken. You know, the doctor might ask for us to perform susceptibilities, but in the case of two species, we typically do not provide them. Remember that coagulase negative staph, you know, these organisms, they live on our skin. So when blood cultures are collected, the site needs to be properly cleaned to ensure that these bacteria don't gain access to the blood culture bottles. Multiple species of CNS, which is coagulase negative staph, and blood cultures, are considered a contamination and is something that is actually tracked by the laboratories. You know, this information that is tracked is provided to nursing and physician leadership. So continuing education can be provided to blood culture collecting personnel. Contamination of samples involves the use of time, personnel and supplies that can be used somewhere else. And also the patient might be put on unnecessary antibiotics. And this contributes to drug resistance. So now that we know more about CNS or coagulase negative staph, the next question we have is, is coagulase negative staph pathogenic? You know, CNS, are they pathogenic? And well, the answer is, they can be pathogenic depending on the source and can also be opportunistic. There are other species that are actually known for, to cause infection. Typically, as a group, you don't actually perform an ID on it, and I will talk more about this, so you don't speciate it. And not all sources require susceptibilities. So now the next question is, so when we perform susceptibilities, when is it? When do we actually perform ID and susceptibilities? And one thing that we need to know is, so when we do perform ID and susceptibilities, you know, we, we, we perform an ID on your typical commercial methods like Vitek, Molitov. Um, so we do susceptibilities on Vitek. So these are the, the, you know, the instruments that we have in our lab that we use on our day-to-day and -day micro. So I'm going to start with the urine bench. So our urine cultures, if you have a small facility, you know, typically if you have a large hospital, you divide it by benches, you know, urine bench, wound bench, respiratory bench. If you have a smaller volume, you might just read all the cultures. So I'm going to talk about urine cultures. So coagulase negative staph is typically not speciated. If you have a small amount, you report it as your genital flora, small amount or mixed. If the organism is pure and you have it in a high enough amount, you perform susceptibilities, but you don't have to speciate it. So you can say your colony count, like let's say um, greater than 100,000 colony forming units per milliliter of coagulase negative staph, and then you perform the susceptibilities, and that's it. The exception to this is Staphylococcus saprophyticus. This organism is the cause of acute and recurring urinary tract infections in young sexually active females. And according to the Manual of Clinical Microbiology of the American Society for Microbiology, this organism is the second most common cause of uncomplicated cystitis on young women. For you students out there, case studies with urine cultures and young females 
typically involves tap saprophyticus. When you're working on the bench, you have a very classic presentation. You see on your blood plate, you have very white colonies. And then you look at your patient's age and gender, and it is a young female, typically 20s and 30s in age. So for this organism, you don't perform susceptibilities on urine isolates. So if you have it on another source like wounds, then you will perform susceptibilities. But if you have it on urines, you don't. And the reason is because on uncomplicated UTIs, the treatment for Staph saprophyticus is very standard. So now that you know that you don't have to perform susceptibilities on Staphylococcus saprophyticus on urine isolates, what instrument comes to mind where you can just finish this culture uh, with minimal delays? And the answer is the Molotov, right? So if you don't have to do susceptibilities, if your facility has Molotov, then you can put this organism on it, you ID it, and then you're done with it, right? If you don't have Molotov, then you have to set it up in an instrument like a Vitec, you know, which takes over four hours to produce an ID. If the next shift they don't read urines, it might have to wait till the next day for that ID to be released. If you have a, a new technologist that maybe is not too familiar with the morphology and that person is not sure, then also, you know, they set up an ID and they set up susceptibilities just in case it's not staph saprophyticus. So it causes potential delays and use of supplies that you might not need to use because it doesn't need a susceptibility. So when you have the Molotov, you go ahead and place the colonies on the Molotov, you get that ID of Staphylococcus saprophyticus, and you are done with it. Another method that you can use to identify Staphylococcus saprophyticus, well, is a tool, the novel biosin disc. Staph sapro is resistant to it, whereas most CNS are negative. Now, there are some species that are resistant to it, but they are rarely uropathogens. And the morphology is also different. Like I mentioned before, um, the morphology of Staphylococcus saprophyticus is very distinctive. You know, there are large very white colonies. So it's always, this is most labs that will just identify by commercial methods, like Vitek, Molitov, and that's the best way to identify it. But for you students out there, remember that Staph Sapro, Staph Saprophyticus, but normally in the lab you can you say Sapro to shorten it, is resistant to novel biosin. And in a flow chart that is used for in identification of gram-positive cocci, this is listed. So keep this in mind when you're going through your clinicals, when you're taking your boards. Staphylococcus saprophyticus, novobiosin resistant. So now that you know about Staphylococcus saprophyticus, I want to talk about another coagulase negative staph. This one is called Staphylococcus lugdunensis. And in recent years, it has become a cause of abscesses and wound infections. It is also known for causing native valve endocarditis and prosthetic valve endocarditis. The colonies for this, as far as morphology, 
they are white, and they are beta-hemolytic. However, there's a difference between this hemolysis and the one in Staph aureus. With Staph aureus, when you see your colonies on day one, typically they are beta-hemolytic right away. With Staphylococcus lugdunensis, that hemolysis can take about two days to show. So kind of keep, keep that in the back of your mind when you are reading cultures. And typically on a wound, you know, on a wound culture, you typically keep it for three days if they're negative. So when you are reading them, keep an eye on day two for beta hemolysis. Another test that you can use that aids in identifying Staphylococcus lugdunensis is PYR, which is positive. You know, it is not exclusive to it. But if you have, a, especially if, you, if you're in a facility that doesn't have a multitop and you see suspect colonies, you know, with that weak, that beta hemolysis, beta hemolysis at day two, you perform a PYR. And if the PYR is negative, you rule out Staphylococcus lugdunensis. If it's positive, then you need to rule out Staphylococcus lugdunensis by performing an ID on this organism. Another test that you can use for Staphylococcus lugdunensis is the ornithine decarboxylase. This is positive for Staph lugdunensis. Another significant thing about identifying lugdunensis is that the oxacillin breakpoints are different than other CNS. So the interpretation, they're different than other coagulase negative staph. So for Staphylococcus lugdunensis, the breakpoint and interpretation on the MIC are the same as Staphylococcus aureus. The MIC, which is the minimum inhibitory concentration, it's the lowest concentration of an antimicrobial that will inhibit the visible growth of an organism. For Staphylococcus lugdunensis, a susceptible result is less or equal than 2 micrograms per milliliter and a resistant result is greater or equal than four. And the units for this are micrograms per milliliter. For other coagulase negative staph, a result of susceptible is less or equal than 0.5, and a resistant is greater or equal than one. So keep this in mind. Something very important to remember. Because from the numbers that you have seen, you know, both a susceptible and a resistant number, the MICs are higher for Staphylococcus lugdunensis than other coagulase negative staph. So now that we, we have talked about staph saprophyticus, we have talked about Staphylococcus lugdunensis, I want to talk about Staphylococcus epidermidis and Staphylococcus hemolyticus. They are involved in healthcare-associated infections, mainly in immunocompromised patients and also patients with implanted devices. Staph epidermidis, or Staph epi, that we say in the lab, is associated with infections of CSF shunts, prosthetic vascular grafts, and orthopedic devices. As far as morphology, Staphylococcus epidermidis colonies, they are gray, and they are also non-hemolytic you will definitely see a lot of staph epidermidis in the lab. 
Staphylococcus hemolytis, hemolyticus, it's beta-hemolytic. However, with these, you know, you will perform ID susceptibilities if they are pure or from sterile sources such as CSF and body fluids. You know, in blood cultures, you identify them and perform susceptibilities if they are present in multiple sets. So let me go back uh, and talk about these two, Staph hemolyticus and Staph epidermidis. So definitely, Staph epi is, someone, is an organism that you will definitely see in the lab a lot. And if you have the Molotov, and nowadays, you know, newer techs, they put everything on the Molotov. So you will definitely encounter Staphylococcus epidermidis a lot. But typically, you don't have to perform an ID to result it as Staphylococcus epidermidis, right? If you have Staph epi on a urine culture, it will get resulted as coagulase negative Staph. You will only do the ID when you actually have a significant source like a CSF or a body fluid, then you will perform an ID by any of the methods that I have described and mentioned, and susceptibilities as well. With Staphylococcus hemolyticus, that's the same case. Susceptibilities, when it's a sterile source, if you have Staph hemolyticus on an urine culture, let's say, you don't have to, and if it's pure or a very high amount, you don't have to perform an ID on it. I mean, you will perform susceptibilities, but you will release it as coagulase negative staph. But let's say that you're working on a wound culture. Let's say it's day two. You have hemolysis. You know, you have a, you do your catalase is positive. Do your coagulase, it's negative. And then you see like this hemolysis and you want to rule out lugdunensis. And then you put it, let's say you put it on the Molotov and it comes back as Staphylococcus hemolyticus, then no further action is taken. This is typically the way that it works with coagulase negative staph. If you're on the urine bench or reading a urine culture, you know, you rule out Staphylococcus saprophyticus. And if you do have Staph saprophyticus, you don't perform susceptibilities. Other coagulates negative staph. Uh, you, if they are in a high enough amount or pure, you will perform susceptibilities, but you don't need to perform an ID. I mean, you probably will for staph lugdunensis, since I talk about how significant it can be, but depending on what your lab wants. And then on CSF, body fluids, you will perform an ID on susceptibilities on all coagulase negative staph. Keep it in mind as far as susceptibilities for saprophyticus, it's only in urine cultures that you don't perform susceptibilities because the treatment, it's very standard. And then when we get to blood cultures, you want to find out if, if you have the same organism on multiple sets, then you will perform susceptibilities. If you have only coagulase negative staph going on one set, it is typically considered a contaminant. And I mentioned that as a group, typically coagulase negative staph, they tend to be just normal flora, but they can be opportunistic. So when they cause infection, 
they are typically seen in endocarditis and bacteremia. They are opportunistic, so you can definitely see it in other conditions, but to a lesser extent. And a lot of these organisms that are normal fluoride happens, you know, they, they are opportunistic, so they can cause infection, but typically most of the time, they are just part of the normal flora. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening about Coagulase Negative Staph, learning about CNS, because I definitely enjoyed talking about it. Go ahead and don't forget to check out the previous episode, a great interview with two co-directors from the bacteriology lab at the Mayo Clinic here in Minnesota. So, yeah, it's great information. I mean, you might have seen this organism and we don't have a way to identify it. So it typically is identified as Staph aureus if you don't have the proper instrument. So go ahead and you haven't had a chance to check it out, go ahead and do so. In the meantime, stay safe, continue bringing that passion at what you do, stay motivated, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.